say Mary Wells Lawrence is an icon of the American marketing industry is an understatement. Perhaps legend or a paragon. Born in Ohio, she married and moved to New York in the early 1950s when she was still in her young 20s. By 1952, she was a fashion advertising manager for Macy's. She was bold and not afraid to stand out and be different. When her marriage wasn't working, she got divorced. That was in the early 50s. Less than one in five marriages resulted in divorce at the time, so it took courage. She turned around and remarried the same man just a couple years later. That took courage too. Not afraid to stand out and be different. Lawrence then went to work for Jack Tinker and his new advertising group, Jack Tinker and Partners, although they became known on the street as Tinker's Thinkers. Lawrence's star in the advertising world began to shine. By 1966, she was ready to establish her own firm, and just a few years later, she was recognized as the highest paid executive in advertising. By the early 1970s, she was invited by U.S. President Ford to represent business at an economic summit in D.C. By the mid-70s, she had her first taste of advertising immortality with this campaign you know all too well. Then another success with Midas. But it was her 1976 campaign for the state of New York that is probably the most famous. Today, on Stories and Strategies, to be a leader, it takes courage and resiliency. It takes integrity and never-ending curiosity. And it takes adaptability and vision. How do marketing and communications leaders see the industry unfolding in 2024? My name is Doug Downs. Music off the top. I love New York, composed by Steve Carmen. My guest this week is Linda Zebian, joining today from Springfield, Massachusetts. Hi, Linda. Hi, Doug. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. Welcome, welcome to the podcast, Springfield. So just just north of Hartford and closer to Hartford, due west of Boston. I've yes. never been to Boston, and wow. I have not been to Springfield, but I have been to Hartford. Surprisingly. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's an airport. There's an airport there. I'm outside of Springfield in a little suburb. I live across the street from our horse farm. So uh, we're we're definitely not in a city here. <laughs> oh, so nice. And when you look out the window, what, what's the scene that you see? Is, is it a white snowy setting or do you have the brown grass? What does it look like? Um, it is a patchy snow, rainy day. We got about a foot and now it's 50 degrees. So we're rolling with it. Yeah. Hey, Linda, you're the Senior Director of Communications and Community at Muckrock. You spent 10 years at the New York Times developing and executing communication strategies for the business side of the company, including growth, product, and technology. You've also managed media relations for Consumer Reports magazine, and you were named Top Woman in PR for Leadership by Reagan Communications 
2023, just last year. Congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. So late 2023, Muckrack published the State of Marketing and PR Leadership Report, looking at how top marketing and PR leaders around the world, really, lots of U.S. influence to the report, but it was a global report, how they view the industry, mainly the C-suite and the VP slash director level. One really interesting piece right off the top is that two-thirds of respondents said that their job was both marketing and communications, which I know for some in the industry can or can't be a sore point that you can't marry the two. Well, we are marrying the two. Tell me a little bit about that, um, what they said. And and as I understand, a bit of a heavier focus on the marketing side of things if they're Marcom leaders. Yeah, I think, um, right, it's all about attention. So between marketing and comms, we're, we're sharing the same job. Our job is the same. We want to protect the brand. We want to drive awareness to the brand. And we want to drive great business with our brand. So I think if you're looking at the um, the demo of the folks who took our survey, most fall into that kind of zero to a, um, 100 ARR a year. So if you're looking at mid-size organizations, for the most part, you're going to have folks who are marketing and comms at the same time because you know the, your workforce is smaller, your revenues are smaller. I think the higher you go on that scale, right, you're going to look at more um, um, more bodies to to utilize, and then you'll have more um, sort of uh, identified marketing leader, comms leader who work really closely together. I get that. And those who are leading the marketing team, so three buckets of leader. Are you you're a marketing leader, you're a public relations slash communications leader, and, or you're a Marcom leader. Those who say, well, I'm a marketing leader, they were the ones saying we might get more budget in 2024, but they were the only ones saying that. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't that always the case for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For us communicators, right? It's it's we're always running so lean, and um, you can't help but wonder what's the reason for that. And we didn't ask that question, um, but uh, yeah, marketers are just getting all the budget, and so it's like, is it because they can prove direct line to um, business outcomes in the bottom line better than communicators can because? We're sort of living in that dark funnel space. Um, uh, you know, it's a good question to ask. Maybe maybe we'll ask it next year to find out why that is. That is, it is interesting because today with, with digital marketing, digital ads, if I have a banner ad, well, this many people click through. This many people went to my website and this many people who went to my website from the ad clicked on the thing that I needed them to click on on the website. So there's this, you know, cookie trail that's led. And f- for those of us in public relations and communications, there is quantitative analysis, right? I Impressions, yes. Uh, media placements, yes. But it's so hard for us to show the qualitative benefits to it, that this this is the feeling that's changing toward our brand, other than the surveys that when those cost money. Exactly. We don't have budget because the budget's not going up. So it's like a never-ending circle for us. Exactly. And how do you put a number on, you know, maintaining brand reputation or maintaining a share of voice in the press? Um, you know, 
it, it's it's difficult, but you know your your brand value can go from a hundred to zero real fast in a crisis moment. So I think that's something all leaders in the C suite need to remember is that um, your brand is as good as it is until it's not, and the, and the moment it's threatened, you run the risk of of, of really losing um, credibility, market share, and then customers and revenue. It, they're they're one and the same. So. So just because you can't always put a, uh, a quantitative number on it doesn't mean that it's valuable. Um, and and I think what we've learned not only from this survey, but other surveys we've done on measurement in communications, um, there is no one single metric that um, communications folks use um, uh, at this point. You know, if, if anybody's going to come up with the with the with that one single metric, you know, give me a call. I'd love to hear about it. But um, we find that most communications leaders use um, a number of metrics in conjunction with one another to tell um, their impact story, and and it can and it can work. Um, um, but you definitely need more than one metric, such as number of stories placed, which to me is a little bit of a disappointing metric. We all use it; it's valuable, but on its own, it doesn't t- give you a complete picture uh, of of um, of your efforts. And from the survey, you you did pull some metrics um, uh, that leaders say they have a preference for. It seemed to focus on lead generation, web traffic, social media engagement. So more, I I I like the funnel. So I would say those those are kind of toward the top. The pay attention to me part of the funnel. Yeah, and that's for you know the folks, the vast majority of our respondents who are a mix of both that Marcom leader. They're looking at. And those as their top metrics. And it does shift significantly if you're looking at just a marketer or someone who identifies just as a, a communications or a public relations professional. So it's interesting. Um, um, you know, for marketing leaders, it's lead gen sales was half, right? And then web traffic and then con- conversion rate for marketers. But then if you look at communications leaders, they're looking again at that number of stories, please key message pull through how much um, of your key message was um, um, kind of regurgitated by an outlet and then reach an impression. Again, a tricky one, a tricky one to to know the mm-hmm, impact mm-hmm. of, of what impressions have on your business. Um, and then share a voice came in forth there. So uh, everyone's looking at competition. That's for sure. Yeah. Tell me about the audiences that respondents said they were going for. Is there more of a B2C flavor or B2B where are they at with the audiences? Yeah, so our audiences, we had about um, 30% who said they're both B2B and B2C. Um, and then uh, 40% were just B2B, um, so folks like me. And then 27% uh, uh, direct to consumer B2C. So uh, we had a nice, healthy mix. Um, interesting that thirty that a third were that catered to both audiences. I wonder who those folks are. Uh, yeah, that is, and just I mean, the survey wouldn't have pulled it out, but just some of your thoughts on on that idea, because again, it's the marriage of we talk about Marcom leaders, and now we have another marriage of well, we're going for both B two B and B two C. Those can be distinctly different strategies. Yeah, you know, uh, and channels. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because our, the biggest cohort of folks came from the technology industry. Which to me, and if I'm thinking, okay, you're B2B and B2C and you work in tech. So what are you? Like a direct-to-consumer business that also sells to other businesses? Um, you know, we know those are hot market, right? Although the Instagram brands, if you will. Um, so so that, that could be it. They're selling to both. 
And as I was, as I was going through the report, I was thinking about internal communications. It's, it's the one functionality that is not led by marketing leaders for sure. Um, it can, should be led by comms. At times, it's led by human resources. Uh, that's a whole other discussion. I really should do an episode on that. Um, and we mentioned off the top, budgets are forecast to go up for marketing, but for nobody else. I got the feeling internal comms, at least in the survey, is not getting the the cred that maybe it sort of should. Yeah. I, this is, and this is purely anecdotal. I think that a lot of the times communications folks um, are, are told, you know, once an organization gets to a certain size, okay, so you're really good at communicating. How about you take on another audience? How about you take on our employees? And just add it to the list of audiences. Um, you know, you've got your industry, you've got your your press, you've got you know, the public. You're going to look, just tack it on on the end. And I think, you know, that's a challenge when you're a smaller organization. You're not seeing, you know, mid-market brands hiring a head of internal communication. You've got your head of communications or your head of HR um, taking on that role to communicate to employees. So... Um, and it's and it, it's a full time job for most folks, so uh, it's disappointing. I think um, you know what. What? But I think the silver lining is that at least you know almost forty percent of organizations are giving internal comms to the comms team rather than the marketing team. I think marketers have a different lens that they're talking through. They may not be privy to um, the sensitivities of the audiences. And I think when internal communicators work hand in hand with the people team, that's when you're going to have the best results from an internal comms perspective. And internal comms is so important. Your employees are your biggest advocates. They're your champions. They're your first line of defense. Everybody has a platform now with social. Yeah. You need to make sure that they are equipped with and that that they're close to your ethos and your and your um and your mission and that they have, and then they know how to talk about your brand appropriately. Yeah. Your ambassadors. And it's so good that yeah. the survey pulled this out for me. I got a lot of really good um, uses from the survey, but on that internal comms piece, I love what you just said that maybe once the teams get bigger, that's when someone's carved out or a small team is carved out and they do internal comms. It almost, and sometimes I, I tend to live pie in the sky, but it almost seems to me like the smaller companies, because that brand ambassadorship and your strongest ambassador is going to be your employee and their family, it almost feels like internal comm should be even more of a focus when you're smaller as opposed to when you're larger. And I know the dollars don't necessarily make sense. Yeah, no, I I, I, I think that you're absolutely right. I still think a lot of businesses are trying to or still learning to understand yeah. the importance of internal communications and their employees as, a, as another channel. Yep. So I think, you know, we fought so hard from an external comms PR perspective to get a seat at the table. The internal communications person is 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 a few steps behind right and, you know, climbing that same mountain. Who is getting that seat at the table? You went into that in the survey. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the Marcoms, the marketers, they're getting that seat. Um, and I think I think more and more you are seeing more CCOs being hired, um, being brands having kind of meltdown, public meltdown moments. They they happen so quickly, so quickly, 
and they're really hard to plan for. So I think um, definitely industry-wise, we're seeing a lot more focus on having a CCO be the right hand of their, of their CEO, building trust between CEOs and CCOs in a way that's different between trust between a CMO and a CEO. That's a lot of C's. So I, you know, I think that it's 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 a intimate sort of trusting relationship that's developed between leadership and a CCO. That um, yeah, your CMO is going to be delivering results for you. Your CMO um, is going to be out there marketing your brand. But who's really that? staunch defender of who you are and what you do, it is your CCO. Mm-hmm. So um, I think more and more you're seeing CCOs um, rise and uh, roles be created and businesses saying, hey, we need this now. We're at that X um, level of revenue, X number of employees. We need this this kind of person and this kind of um, counsel uh, up right there with my lawyer, right? Okay. And to complement that, let's talk about the chief marketing officer. The CMO, a role that is transforming. They're now expected to be accountable in part for revenue, uh, marketing leadership, obviously, customer retention. And and to add to that, what role might artificial intelligence play in all that? The toy du jour. Yeah. I mean, I think AI's role in for CMO or CCO or in anybody that um, files down under them is to just increase your efficiencies. So using technology um, as a way to help you with time, um, boost your output so you can really have more time to focus on things that um, AI can't do, which is strategic planning. Exactly. um, That human side of marketing and comms. Um, You know, and even, you know, what a lot of us spend a lot of time writing messaging right and as and as good as the generative ai tools are you know you're not able to just stick it in a chat gpt copy and paste and shoot it out i mean that requires real human oversight um and 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 you know really aggressive review and um that you can't get that from from ai just yet but there are other ways you can use it to save time um, and, and that's how we certainly um, are looking at it from a technology point of view at, over here at Muckrack. Yeah, I suppose until AI learns to scroll my previous messages, form the sentimentality that, because it will at some point, and it will just repeat scary. the word. Yeah, it is scary. Um, so tell me about the other studies uh, that Muckrack has got coming up, the other surveys that you're doing. What What's in the hopper for 2024? Oh, great. Yeah, so actually we just released um, at the right at the beginning of January, our second state of AI and PR report, which is so interesting because usually we do surveys every uh, every year in a regular cadence, but with AI moving so quickly, we we put out a survey last March, March of 2023, um, asking folks, are they using it? How do they feel about it? What makes them nervous? Um, and then you know, towards the fall, we were like, we think we should ask these questions again. And it was a hunch and we went with it and bam, I mean, generative AI use uh, more than doubled among our profession. In that time. And that's not surprising. Yeah, that's not surprising. So that was the big takeaway from that report. That report's available. And all of this, um, all of these insights are are, are, are available to everyone there. No, 
no charge. They're free. Um, we also have our, our one of our biggest reports of the year, the State of Journal, that it will come out um, in this early spring. Um, folks love that report. I mean, particularly just to understand how what's going on in, with journalists, how they're feeling, what um, their biggest concerns are, how they're using social media with everything going on at X and how LinkedIn and TikTok are coming into the to the mix like pretty aggressively for journalists. What does that mean for PR people? What does that mean for how we pitch? Um, you know, we ask them about what their pitch preferences are, how that how those um, preferences have changed um, and how they like to be pitched. So that perfect pitch comes out every year. Um, and And that's chock full of really interesting insights for the media world. And then we have our annual state of PR, um, which is the same on the PR side. What are PR people facing? We do a, um, a survey on uh, salaries, also a very popular one. What yes. should I be making? How many hours should I be working? Is this normal? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, how are how are folks um, utilizing technology, AI tech, and also um, you know, general PR tech and social media, um, all these tools are designed to to get us that seat at the table or at least move in a direction towards it. Perfect. I really appreciate your time today. Linda, thank you for this. Thanks, Doug. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Linda Zebian, we've got contact information in the show notes. Stories and Strategies is a co-production of JGR Communications and Stories and Strategies Podcasts. One thing we'd love for you to do is check out our YouTube channel and give us a follow. The channel's kind of newish. We're in growth mode, but we have full episodes up there, audio only. So just kind of like this if you're listening on one of the podcast apps. And we do have some video clips as well from the interview. Lastly, do us a favor, forward this episode to one friend. Thanks for listening.